I was going from one thing to the next. So, you know, I would buy a new car, and then when that didn't do it, I'd go out and buy clothes or take a trip. And then I went through hobbies. You know, I did triathlons. I did running. I took up wine as a hobby. I mean, on and on the list goes. Dr. Greg Veeman was convinced he had everything he needed to find happiness. The successful career, the lifestyle, but it never seemed to be enough. It was a combination of you're sad, you're empty, and at the same time you're kind of angry and frustrated because you're thinking, well, why? You know, what's wrong with me? You know, why aren't I fulfilled? Why don't I feel like I have achieved what I worked my whole life for? And so you're embarrassed. You're not going to tell anyone, so you keep it inside. And then what you end up doing is taking it out on other people. He also had all the answers. His wife, Ruth, explains. I mean, he was, a, he was good, but he had a short fuse. He was arrogant. He was always right. He's the type of person. He's his own person. He's the boss. You know, he always did well his whole life. He was always number one at everything. Greg was quick to take issue with others, including his Christian neighbors, who Greg thought were giving his family the cold shoulder. And I'm going to get a Bible and I'm going to prove to them that they're not practicing what they preach. Greg started reading the Bible and was shocked by what he learned. I realized that Jesus was claiming to be God in the flesh, the God-man on earth. And I never heard that before. So that quickly got my attention because I realized if it did happen, it was the most important event in human history. And if it didn't happen, then it was just a religious fairy tale that someone made up. So I quickly forgot about the neighbors and decided, hey, I need to find out if this really happened. I really got interested when I heard Luke's prologue where he says, you know, that he checked everything out because he's a doctor and doctors would normally disprove miracles, not authenticate them. While Greg's curiosity was academic, Ruth had been on her own search for truth and accepted Christ as her savior. She knew her husband needed more than a subject to study. I was worried about his salvation. I would tell my friends in the Bible study, I'm worried about Greg. You know, he's never going to accept the Lord. When I told Greg, you know, there's a place called hell and it's real. And, you know, if you don't believe, you might go there. And I was praying for him. I really was. It got to a point where I was just like, I give up. You know, I was like, really? I'm like, God, you've got you to do something. Greg spent weeks studying and researching. He realized Christianity hinged on one event the resurrection. I started for looking for every possible explanation that would say it didn't happen. You know, did Jesus, maybe he didn't die. Well, that wasn't true. Even in the Journal of the American Medical Association, doctors had concluded that he definitely died. Uh, maybe the apostles stole the body. I mean, maybe they were seeing hallucinations, all these different theories. But the problem was none of them were credible. None of them made sense. The only explanation from the historical facts, the way it was set up with the Roman guards and everything, was that the tomb was empty and he actually rose. The real thing that got me was the Apostle Paul, because here's a guy, he's Jewish, he's killing Christians, he has nothing to gain. What in the world could make this guy go and be the greatest evangelist ever? There was only one explanation, and that was with, that he saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So. When I looked at the resurrection, looked at the evidence of these guys and their changed lives, I said, I, I, I have to believe it. Now Greg had the answer, or at least he thought he did. Christianity is okay, you know, he really did it. And if you believe and he sees that you go to church and you're trying to do the right thing, then when you die, you'll go to heaven. I mean, what more could there be? Greg was about to find out. It started after he treated a walk-in patient at work. I went in, you know, told him if he had any questions to ask me, and he was just staring me like dead in the eye, and that's when he came out and just said, have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And I about passed out. I wasn't expecting that. And I, all this other stuff was happening at the same time. I'm like, well, how does he know? Why is he asking me this? Who is this guy? And I kind of just bolted out of the room and says, I'll be right back, because I didn't know what to do. A few nights later, Greg began thinking about his life. There were things in my life that I, you know, wanted to change, you know, the anger, the frustration, but I didn't have the power to change. And so it just kind of all culminated where I just kind of broke down crying and 
asking God to forgive me and basically just, you know, kind of repented of my sins and asked him to change me and that I, I wanted to, you know, live a new life. The very next morning, Greg noticed something was different. I was just like completely peaceful. I wasn't frustrated. I wasn't feeling angry. I felt content for no reason. So I quickly expected everything to dissipate and go back. But as I began to live that day, I realized, you know, hey, there's something really different. So if I was different and feeling completely different, I had to have been changed or something in my biochemistry of my body had to be changed. I said, well, maybe somehow my antihistamine got switched out for something like Valium. So I went and checked my medicines and of course, you know, that wasn't it. Greg found out why he felt different in the book of Romans, chapter six. Basically what it said in there was that when you become a believer and get saved, and the Holy Spirit comes into you, which is something I was completely unaware of, that the old person that you were somehow dies. And then it cross-referenced that to Galatians 5.22, which talks about how the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And I'm like, you know, hey, that's it. That's, that's how I feel. I've got that list. Later that night, Greg told Ruth what happened. It was a miracle to me because I didn't ever think that Greg could ever change. He was suddenly concerned about other people, which shocked me. Greg went looking for the patient who had talked to him. The problem was his name wasn't on the schedule anymore. I mean, it was handwritten in ink, and I knew exactly when it was, and it's not there. And I checked for like the whole month, and the guy basically wasn't there. His record was completely gone. There was no evidence that he ever came in the, in the office. Greg says while there's no doubt the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are true, the real proof is in his changed life. I would say since the day I was saved, I've never felt alone. I've never felt empty. I've never felt all of that discontentment and stuff. I feel like I'm married to a different person. I feel like my old husband is not around anymore, and I've got this new husband who's awesome. For Greg, the truth is clear. Every other religion is man seeking God. Christianity is God seeking man. There's a real test for Christianity. You call on Christ, put him to the test. He won't just forgive your sins, but he's going to change you right now so that you know that it's true. And that's a big difference. You believe in Jesus? Are you out of your mind? You're not Jewish anymore. You are a traitor to your people. When I was about 10 or 11 years old, living in Chicago, uh, my father's parents, I was very close to them. They looked like two characters from the movie Fiddler on the Roof. And I would hang out at their house a lot, well, especially when my grandma was making a good bowl of kreplach soup. I said to my grandpa, Grandpa, I see that you have received from letters from your cousins in Romania. Would you someday like to go back and hang out with your cousins? And he said, no. I said, Grandpa, why? He said, Pogrom, the farmers who claim to be Christians uh, in a city called Barlad, Romania, came looking for Jewish people to do them harm. And my grandpa and his sister and mother had to hide in the wine cellar. It was the, the 70s. It was the John Travolta era. I was invited to go on the spring trip for the University of Illinois baseball team. It was very early on that I was called into pitch and relief. After our game, my roommate asked me if I would go with him to hear Billy Graham speak that night. I'll take a rain check. Jewish kids from Chicago don't do this kind of thing. My senior year, my friend again told me a famous lady was going to come speak. I said, I'll tell you what, you tell me what this person has to say, I'll take a rain check. He said a lady named Corrie Ten Boom and her family were hiding Jewish people in the walls of their home. They actually got caught by the Nazis and her whole family died, not only because of their Christian faith, but because of their love for Israel and the Jewish people. Something inside of me said, whatever the real deal is, this must be it. And so when I was getting ready to pitch in my last game against the University of Michigan State, my friend Neil, after going for a run in the morning, comes into our apartment and blows my mind. 
Neil was Jewish. He said, Siegs, I need to tell you something. After I read the Hebrew scriptures and a careful examination of what it said, I've come to the conclusion the Messiah has already come. I said, Neil, are you out of your mind? I said, you believe in Jesus? And I said, Neil, you're not Jewish anymore. He said, no, I'm a completed Jew, Jeff. He said, Jeff, if you read it for yourself, I believe you'll come to the same conclusions. What a dilemma. If God really had a son, I'm going to have to see in my book, not their book. I held that Tanakh up to heaven, and I prayed a prayer to God. I said, God, can I have a burning bush experience like Moses? One of the things that happened was I came to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 31 through 34. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will enact a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this new covenant, this new agreement is for Jewish people. There's something to what my friend Neil said. New covenant, New Testament. My mind was blown. I just fell on my knees in front of my bed as I was reading these verses, and I just prayed a simple prayer. I said, Dear God, please enter my heart and please forgive me for the sins of my life. I said, Lord, I'm new at this. I don't know exactly how to do this, but I said, I've longed for that personal relationship and I realize that Yeshua HaMashiach is my burning bush experience. I said, Dad, after a careful examination of the Hebrew scriptures, I've come to the conclusion that the promised Jewish Messiah has already been here. He said, Son, you are a traitor to your people. You are no longer my son. What you have done in my eyes is worse than Adolf Hitler. Now this went on for 26 years until a day came when my younger brother decided to go to church and he gave his life to Yeshua. He said, could you do me a favor? Could you tell dad the decision I made? Now in a 26 year time frame, my dad and I began to have a better relationship. And when I called my dad, I said, dad, I need to tell you something. After a careful examination of the Hebrew scriptures, my younger brother has also made the same decision that I made many years ago. My dad then began to cry. I received the shock of my life. It was only the second time in my life I ever heard him cry. The first time was when he hung the phone up on me when he told me I wasn't his son anymore. And he began not only to cry, but he began to speak in the Hebrew language. He nanny God, he nanny, here I am, here I am. What would you have me to do? I said, Dad, do you want to give your life to Yeshua? He said, yes, I do. For the last two and a half years of his life, we were like best friends. And then the day came when my dad just went to heaven. On that day, when I announced to my father that I gave my life to Yeshua, and he said, you're not my son anymore, my life was turned upside down. But you see, God had a plan. And on that day, it may have seemed bleak, but the Lord saw the future. Hey guys, Steve here. Some of you may know me as being the creator of the Facebook page and website called Spirit Science and Metaphysics. And some of you may know me as being an admin and author on the Spirit Science Facebook page and website. If you've been following me on social media recently, you'll know that I've completely renounced the New Age. I'm no longer writing New Age articles, and I'm actually a born-again Christian now. So I just want to share with you, you know, my story, my testimony, and basically what happened. So I was actually born and raised in a Christian household. I grew up going to church pretty regularly, but I never considered myself to be a Christian. It was just something that I was exposed to and familiar with, but it was never something that was an active reality in my life. My journey down the rabbit hole really started when I was in high school, when I first saw an episode of Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a television show that presents all the evidence that 
ancient man was visited in the past by extraterrestrials who they thought were, you know, gods descending down from the sky. So this completely blew my mind and called into question, you know, the biblical worldview that I had been raised with. So I started to research aliens obsessively, and I bought the first three seasons of Ancient Aliens and watched them through, like, front to back, over and over and over again. I also started researching things like channeling, astral projection, hidden knowledge, spiritual science, uh, mysticism, and all this stuff. And what started off as study turned into practice, and I started practicing things like tarot card reading, uh, meditation, lucid dreaming, uh, astral projection, and during this time I was also in school studying to be a philosophy major. And so when you're having, you know, out-of-body experiences and in school studying philosophy, the idea of Christianity just seems naive and childish and I used to look down on Christians as being, you know, thoughtless and intellectually inferior, I guess. But the problem was, in my studies, I would see near-death experiences, people giving testimonies of having seen Jesus in heaven, in the afterlife, or having seen hell, and then Jesus pulled them up out of hell. And whenever they would tell their story, they would be in tears, they'd be crying, and I would cry. I would be moved from their testimony. So I was, you know, really into the New Age, and I'm really into philosophy, but at the same time, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, there's something unique and different and special and pure and holy about Jesus. And I couldn't put my finger on it, and I couldn't reconcile it with what I was researching and experiencing in the New Age. So I just basically kind of put it on the back shelf, but I always knew there was something different to the person of Jesus. And then after about four to five years of research, I started a Facebook page in November of 2012 called Spirit Science and Metaphysics. It blew up pretty quick. I started to connect with other admins from other Facebook pages. We would share each other's stuff. Before long, you're up at, you know, 250,000 likes. And around this time, Jordan from the Spirit Science YouTube series reached out to me, said that he liked my research and my page and that he wanted to connect. So we, you know, had a work partnership for a while. And we also had a friendship. He was, you know, one of my best friends online. And in January of 2014, I launched my website, spiritscienceandmetaphysics.com, which some of you may be familiar with. And because of all of the Facebook pages I had connections to, uh, my website was a huge success. I was getting about 150,000 to 250,000 website views a day. And I had articles that were, you know, just going viral. So I was basically making a killing for myself off of ad revenue. And so, being 22 years old, I went out and bought myself a sports car. And, you know, greed and materialism had a really big hold on my life. I was obsessed with making money. To be honest, I thought that this was God rewarding me for serving humanity. I felt like, by teaching New Age doctrine, I was actually helping humanity awaken and, and raise its consciousness. And so I was writing articles for my own site, and for a while I was also writing articles for the Spirit Science website, which some of you may know me from. And during this whole time, too, I was still trying to figure out God, trying to understand Jesus, trying to understand, you know, where Jesus fit into the puzzle and where God fit into the puzzle. And I used to believe that God was basically the energy of the universe. I used to think that to have a relationship with God meant to have a relationship with your inner self. And that all you had to do to have a personal relationship with God is to just meditate and tap into that inner stillness, that inner silence, because God as I thought of him, was the I am presence, the core identity of all things. And so sin played no role in separating us from God. And I was actually watching, you know, hundreds of hours worth of debates between Christian philosophers and atheists because I wanted to know the best philosophical argument for the existence of God. But I thought of God as being an impersonal force in the universe, kind of like the Hindus do. And this is the way I understood God. And I understood Jesus in this way, too, as being someone who was self-realized, who realized his unity with the divine, and that he was calling us to do the same. So I thought Jesus was, you know, someone who ascended to his own inner God nature. And in the summer of 2015, I decided to buy my first house. And uh, here's a picture of it here. And this isn't to brag about my former life or something. That's not what this is about. Um, to be honest, I'm ashamed of my former life. This is more so just to share how much greed and materialism and the pursuit of money had a hold on me. And so on the outside, I was living the dream. I had the house I wanted, the car I wanted, all the money I wanted. I had a, su a successful website online. I was working from home, all of these things. But I felt unfulfilled inside, and I couldn't understand how. I had all this spiritual experience and all this, you know, spiritual knowledge, but... 
on the inside, I was still um, unfulfilled. And they reached a point where I had to face all of my traumas and all of the skeletons in my closet at the exact same time. Just things started blowing up in my face. And having always known there was something a little bit different about Jesus, I started to warm up to him as, as an idea. Um, I, I didn't become a Christian. It wasn't anything like that. But I just started to explore more open-mindedly the things pertaining to Jesus. And so I began to read the Gospels a little bit. And during this time, I was still writing New Age articles. I was still making lots of money. And I still felt lost inside. And there reached a point where I felt that I had to just be broken before him. Um, so one night, I went outside onto my back balcony of my stupid house. And I just basically fell on my face before him and was weeping like a baby, um, basically reaching out to him. And when I did this, I felt the atmosphere around me start to change and I could feel in the air that there was something holy and pure around me and um, it was also personal and I knew in that moment that I was in the presence of of Jesus and the quality of everything around me changed. Um, the wind felt like it was infused with his presence. And when it hit me, it would hit me. Um, it just completely broke me. Um, and I felt like he was showing me himself. And showing me who he is and where he stands in relation to to me and, and to life. And um, I was just getting so many downloads about, oh my gosh, this is so simple. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. It's not some complex, mystical thing. And when I was in his presence, I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. And um, this might sound weird, but what stuck out for me what I, what I really needed to to see and to feel was um, how okay, how it sounded like um, the crickets and uh, the leaves on the trees and the sounds that were outside in nature they were all um, pointing towards him. They were all glorifying him. And I was witnessing it. And, uh, and after that experience, I, uh, I went back inside and I started to think about all of the, the new age stuff I'd been involved with. And, um, I was just having light bulbs go off in my head, like, oh my gosh, that's what that is. That's a deception. That's a lie. And, uh, I never wrote another New Age article, um, from that day forward. Uh, in fact, drinking stopped, smoking stopped, pornography stopped, sex stopped, and addictions were just falling off, like, immediately, right after one experience, and... For the first time in my life, I had a conviction to live righteously and to live a holy life before God. And when I was in the New Age, you know, the topic of sin doesn't even come up. It, people don't have a concept of, of sin. And I had a conviction of sin immediately after that experience. Um, a day or two later, I phoned Jordan and I was like, man, I can't write for your website anymore. Um, I basically just cut all of my work ties stopped writing New Age Occult articles, and I, I deleted all the ones on my site that were affiliated with the New Age. I threw all the idols out of my house. I burnt all of my occult and New Age books. And I started to do a lot of heavy research into topics that I previously thought were safe, like astral projection, channeling, aliens, and I started to see them through this new spiritual lens that I had. I felt like something had been awakened within me, and I was like looking at all this stuff and being like, wow, this is a bunch of crap. And because I wasn't writing any New Age articles anymore, 
um, my income got cut by 97%. So I had to sell my house, I had to sell my car, and I was glad to. And about a week after I had this experience, I was laying in bed trying to go to sleep one night, and I could feel in like the background of my spirit, uh, I had never felt that dimension to my being ever, even in meditation. I could feel that there was a personal presence there where there once used to be nothing. It used to just be a void. And now I could feel this thing inside of me that I had never felt before, and it was prompting me to read the Bible. It was uh, turning me away from sin. It was encouraging me to live righteously. And I could feel it, and it was personal and objective, and it was inside of my spirit. And I, I later found out through you know reading scriptures that this is called the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, and that it bears witness with our spirit and testifies to us the truth about Jesus Christ and so forth. And this, for me, was the icing on the cake. I mean, I had felt Jesus like a week before this, and now I was feeling him 24-7 inside of my spirit. And I remember feeling the Holy Spirit in me, trying to fall asleep and thinking to myself, like, wow, most people don't even know this is possible, that there is a, a spiritual way that we can know firsthand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And this this presence that was in me, it authenticated and verified to me the truth about Jesus just by its very nature. My great-grandparents are from Turkey, but they came and settled down in India, in the South Kerala. When I was in the womb of my mama, there was an infection for her womb. So all the doctors said the child will die in the womb. She did not accept anyone or any advice. She prayed to Allah saying, Allah, life belongs to you. So I know you can give life. If you give life for this baby, I will surrender this baby for you. That was her offering or a surrender. And uh, miraculously, I, I was born. All thought I will die in the womb. Because I have been dedicated to God. While I was working in a Muslim masjid as an imam, as a parish priest, once I preached in my parish that Jesus Christ is not God. For me, God was only Allah. And I believe Allah never married, so no son for Allah. So I preached there that Jesus is not God. Then somebody asked me, who is Jesus? From the crowd. Maybe a Muslim, but he asked me, who is Jesus? I was preaching, he is not God. But the question, who is he? To know who is he, I read the entire Quran once again. 114 chapters, 6,666 verses in Quran. When I read it, the name of Prophet Muhammad, I found in Quran four places. But the name of Jesus I found 25 places. There itself I was a little confused. Why Quran giving more preference for Jesus? And second thing, I could not see any women's name in Quran. Prophet Muhammad's mother name or wife's name or children's name, no. In the Quran there is only one woman name I found, Maryam, the mother of Jesus. No other woman name. And then about Jesus, when I read chapter 3 verses, 45 to 55 verses, there are 10 points which Quran makes about Jesus. The first thing Quran says Kalimatullah, the Arabic word which means word of God. And the second thing Ruhullah which means spirit of God. And the third is Isal Masih which means Jesus Christ. So Quran gives the name for Jesus, word of God, spirit of God, Jesus Christ. And then Quran says that Jesus spoke when he was very small, like two days old after his birth. He began to speak. Quran says that Jesus created a live bird with mud. He took some mud, formed a bird, when he breathed into it, became a live bird. So I think that he can give life. He give life to a mud, clay. And then Quran says that Jesus cured a man born blind and a man with leukoderma, leprosy, etc. Continuously Quran says that Jesus gave life to dead people. Jesus went to heaven, he is still alive and he will come again. When I saw all these things in Quran, my thinking was what the Quran says about uh, Muhammad. You know, according to Quran, Prophet Muhammad is not the word of God, not the spirit of God, never spoke when he was two days old, never created any bird with mud, never cured any sick people, never raised any dead people. He himself died. And according to Islam, he is not alive and he will not come back. So there is a lot of difference between these two prophets. I, I, I don't call Jesus as God, you know. My idea was he's a prophet, but he's a prophet greater than Muhammad. So one day I went to my teacher, the one who taught me 10 years in Arabic college, and I asked him, teacher, how the God created the universe? 
then he said god created the universe through the word through the word then my question word is creator or creation must clear it my question whether the word of god is creator or creation quran says jesus is word of god if my teacher said the word of god is creator which means jesus is creator then the muslims must become christian suppose if he say the word is creation he will be trapped you know why he said everything created through the word suppose if we say the word is creation then how the god created the word wow so he cannot say the word is creator cannot say the word is creation so he was quite angry he pushed me out of his room and said word is not the creator not the creation you get out from me he said so then when he said that i told my teacher word is not the creator not the creation that is why christian says word is son of god then he told me if there is a son for god i must show him the wife of god without wife no chance for having a son then i showed a portion from the quran quran says that god can see without eyes god can talk without tongue god can hear without ears it's written in quran i said if that is a case he can have a child without a wife so there we have a big argument and you know at the end what i did i took my quran kept on my chest and i said allah tell me what should i do because your quran says jesus is still alive muhammad is no more you tell me whom should i accept after my prayer i open quran i didn't ask anyone i ask only to my allah when i open quran i saw chapter 10 verse 94 you know what quran says fa in kuntum fi shakkin mimma anzalna ilayka fas'alil ladina yaqra'una alkitaba min qablik laqad ja'aka alhaq if you have any doubt in this quran which i give to you go and read the bible or ask the people those who read the bible the truth is already revealed in that so if you ask me who made me christian it's not any fathers it's not any sisters it's not any bishops it's not any cardinal it's not even pope but the holy quran converted me to christianity so after seeing this i decided to study bible and i went to a rutit center called the divine rutit center that's in india then while i was doing my bible studies there are a lot of points which touched me from bible the first day uh, father read john chapter 1 verse 1 onwards in the beginning there was word the word was with god the word was god the word became flesh so my holy quran says jesus is the word of god now the holy bible also says jesus is the word of god so i found it both is very similar and i was happy to know that i need quran and i need bible both you know i was in a mood like one day become christian one day muslim one day christian you know i i need both while i was thinking like that again one more word i heard that was john chapter 1 verse 12 such a lovely word for me because it's written in bible if anyone accept jesus jesus will give them power to become children of god in all the verses of the quran allah calls the human being slaves and allah is master master cannot love the slave slave cannot love the master i don't like to be called by someone as slave quran says you are my slave but when i heard john chapter 1 verse 12 it says if you believe in jesus jesus will give you power to become children of god so immediately i said i need jesus because i want to be a child of god there i began to call my god daddy till then i never knew that i can call god daddy You know, Jesus taught the prayer in Aramaic language, Abun Doshmayo, our God who art in heaven, Abun he called. In Arabic language, Abun means our dad, you know. And if you ask me, I cannot express my joy whenever I call my dad, you know, whenever I call God dad. And whenever I think that the creator of the universe is my dad, I have a kind of joy which I cannot express. It's beyond my, you know, experience cannot explain. only you can understand by experience so i really love to call my god there i decided to accept jesus and one fine day my dad came there and it was very horrible because he beat me very badly and there was bleeding from my nose and i was unconscious and then he took me home uh, i don't know how he took me but somehow he took me home because i was unconscious uh, when i came in conscious i was in a small room without any clothes i was completely naked and my hands and legs were chained very tight and i could not even speak because there was chili powder in my mouth nose eyes and you know 
wherever the wound was there in my skin, they applied some chili there also for, for me to get burning. And it, it, they did so much because it is written in Quran more than 18 places to fight with the non-believers. And it is written in some places to kill the one who reject Islam. So my dad is obeying the law of Quran, so he wants to do something. And uh, within few days, uh, they did not give me food or water, and I, I was dried off. And one day my lift broke, and I was trying to lick little blood to wet my throat. Then my brother came and passed urine in my mouth. You know, they said, that, that's punishment for you to believe in Christ. And then uh, after so many days, like without food or water, my stomach became wrong, and my entire body became weak, and I became like a bone. Finally, I lost even my memory power. I can't even think because no food, no water. So, like a dead man. And I don't know how many days, more than 20 days it was there in the room. And one day, my dad came to room and he removed my chain and I was not aware. And he chopped my throat very deep to know is there, bo is there life in my body. So when he chopped very deep, I couldn't breathe. So when I opened my eye, I could see a big knife in his hand. So my dad said, it's your last moment, no hope. He said, if you need Allah, I will allow you to leave. If you need Jesus, I will kill you. I, I know that, you know, when I was in the womb itself, all said I will die. But they loved me so much and they, they prayed and they got the life. And now they want to kill me. So I don't know. And I, according to, I, I know my dad well, he will kill me. So when I know that it's my last moment of death, I, I thought, anyway, Jesus died, but he came back. If I believe in Jesus and I, I to may get my life, you know, a kind of a joy, you know, it is better to die in Jesus. When I decided, suddenly a light fell on my forehead, you know, a moonlight, something fell on my... And there was a kind of electric shock, something passed throughout my vein. I was so energized, you know, from somewhere the energy flowed into my body and I couldn't control myself. That much energy there was in my bone. I pulled my dad's hand down and I cried out, Jesus! When I cried out, my dad fell on the ground. When he fell with the knife which he was holding, there was a big bone for his chest. And there was bleeding and some kind of foe was coming from his mouth and he was screaming, you know, and all were shocked, my brothers and mom, my sisters, they, they don't know what's happening. So they thought my dad is already dead, so they took my dad and ran to hospital. When they were running to hospital, they forgot to lock my room from outside. And I was in an energy which I cannot tell you because I was only born. No food, so many days, more than 20 days, bony, but very energy. So I just came out and wore the dress of my dad, I ran to taxi stand, took a taxi, straight away went to Porta. On the way, the taxi man, he was a Christian, so he bought for me some kanji juice and everything. And he knows my struggle, and he taught me to pour down. And he contacts me even now. He's a very good friend of mine, the taxi driver. So I went, came to Porta again. That day, really, I understood my Jesus is alive even now. When I call him for my need, he, he saved me. So which means he is present here, even when I'm talking to you. So that, that is my life. Everywhere I know that he is present. Because now after my conversion, 18 years, I never, I never thought that the Muslims will allow me to live 18 years. And I have even preached in Middle East, where the Arabs came, but nothing happened. So which means uh, my Jesus is alive and he is protecting me. Is your life in danger? Are people still trying to kill you? Yes, even after, after this experience, so many times they tried to kill me. So thereafter, no contact with my, with my sisters, whom I love so much. My mom, I really love her, but no hope. I, I can, I, humanly speaking, no hope. God can touch them within a moment, so I'm praying. And even if they did not accept Christianity, I, I'm always saying, Jesus, please take them to heaven. Where I am, I need them. So that's my prayer always. Yeah. And you're not afraid to die? Never, never. No, they said we are. The fear of death is actually a foolishness. If you believe in Muhammad and die, you know what will be your situation? Prophet Muhammad died, people buried, and afterwards we don't know where he went. If I believe in him and die, I don't know where I will go. But Christ, who died, but he came back. 
So I have a hope if I die in Christ, I do can come back. So it is better to be sure of death and that should be in Christ. Because Jesus very clearly said, I am going to my father's house. Romans, uh, sorry, John chapter 14 verse 3. I am going to my father's house. There are so many rooms and I will arrange a room for you. Then I will come back to take you. So, you know, I am so happy to know that my Jesus is arranging big bungalow for me there. Big house. Once if you finish the work, he will come back to take me. I think it is a big bungalow because last 18 years Muslims tried to kill me. They could not kill, which means still the construction is going on. Once if it is ready, then he will come back to take me. Then only the Muslims can kill me. Till then nobody can. So I am not afraid of death because that is a fact. Only thing I am thinking after my death, what? To have eternal life, you need Jesus. John Ramirez grew up in the Bronx where his relatives practiced Santa Rita. My father's side came from a family of witches and warlocks. My father was very heavy into Santa Rita, very heavy into spiritualism. John longed for a relationship with his dad, but his father was abusive. There was no love, there was no compassion. We watched him beat my mother in the house. He came in drunk most of the time, uh, demanding stuff, asking for stuff. If things wasn't done a certain way, it was always put down. Hurtful words, dummy, stupid, you can gonna amount to nothing, that kind of stuff. I would just stand by the door and look and see what he was up to because I was looking to see if there was time for me. Just to have an interaction, right? we did something, my dad and I did something. But he was connected to the demons, he was connected to spiritualism. John's mother was also influenced by Santeria. At his aunt's suggestion, she took John to a tarot card reading. The lady sent the cards, I had 30 days to do a ceremony or I would be blind. So my mother, as a good mother, didn't want nothing to happen to her son, so we did it. They blindfolded me, did a bath for me with herbs, and they started chanting and calling the five main god demons from Santeria. From that moment, John's life changed. My whole personality, everything who I stand for as a young boy, was no longer there. I felt like someone took a black blanket and just put it right over me, spiritually. I wasn't answering not only to my mom and my dad, but I was answering to the demons. John's involvement with Santeria deepened quickly. I was being taught and trained with high-ranked devil worshippers into spiritualism. I went to sinking into funerals, acting like I knew the person that died because I wanted to buy the soul of that person that died because I can get that soul and put it on somebody and die the same way. When drug dealers got killed in the street, I wanted to run out and get the blood because I can use that human blood to do witchcraft. For the first time in his life, John felt powerful and respected. People knew that I was a force to be reckoned with. I liked that power. I was talked down to as a young boy. Now I had the authority and the power that I can do whatever I want. When John was 13, his father was murdered in a bar fight. John gave credit to the devil for relieving his mother's suffering. I'd be up at 5 in the morning calling out to God saying, help my mother. And no one showed up. But the devil showed up because he killed my dad. I believe the devil said, well, no one loves you, but I love you. Your father can't provide for you, but I, I, I'm your provider. The devil said to me, uh, do, do, the, do the religion. I give you anything you want. Just ask. John says Satan became the father he never had. John was devoted to him. I light up my candles. I spit the rum. I spit the cigar smoke. The cigar smoke means power. If I didn't have money for a rooster, I cut myself and use my own blood and pour it in. The whole atmosphere of the room changes. And you know there's something there. And when it's dead, you have to dress him like a family member. My father, I'm here. What would you like to speak to me about? What is it that you want me to do? As time went on, John also practiced the dark arts outside his apartment. He preyed on Christians in particular. At the clubs, I would go around looking for Christians. And I knew that in the club, you was in the devil's playground. So I knew that if I can get into it, and you had a beer tour ready in your system, I knew all I had to do was just say, listen, I have something to tell you today. And right now you will open the door and you said, what is it you need to tell me? You gave me gateway. Eventually, John became a high priest in Palo Mayambe, a form of African spiritualism. As he became more powerful, John took warfare seriously. 
The devil told me that I have to go into the neighborhood in the spirit round in order to weaken it in the natural. Whatever you kill in the spirit round, you can kill in the natural. So I will leave my body home and I should project myself in different boroughs, different regions, different states, different countries. And as I follow the neighborhood, I would speak curses into the neighborhood, speak things that I wanted to happen into the neighborhood. Sometimes I will go into neighborhoods and I see this group of people in the spirit line in the corner praying, holding hands, heads bowed, praying up a storm. And there was no accomplishment in that neighborhood. That neighborhood was sanctified, blessed through prayer. There was, you couldn't touch it. But the other neighborhoods, it was party time. Around that time, John met a girl who intrigued him. I said, well, you're not going to hang out with her. She's good looking. And she invited me to church. She also invited John to meet her parents, who talked to him about Jesus. They had the Bible out. Hey, listen, we want to talk to you about this. I'm like, oh, I can't come to your house. Your parents are crazy. I said, at least let me digest the food, and then you can talk about this Jesus guy. And then after I leave her, I will go to worship. I will go to double church and kill animals all night long. And then I will come back and see her, but she didn't know. John found the Christians amusing and harmless. We had a different system that they had. Their stuff was just kisses, hallelujah, we love you. So I kept coming to church to please her. But I wasn't going to leave people I was committed to. One Sunday morning, the pastor gave an altar call. John went forward, but wasn't prepared for what happened next. I said, well, the devil can't touch me here. I'm in front of the pastor now. I'm protected. All of a sudden... I got demon possessed. I got them by the throat, picked them up in there, said, I came for you. And all these big men came out to see, try to grab me. I was just throwing people around like right guards. And then 200-something people got up and raised up hands. Spiritual warfare for a person that would have killed them on a heartbeat. I saw the power of God in the church. One of the guys was whispering back in my ear and say, say Jesus is Lord, say Jesus is Lord, say it, say it. I couldn't open my mouth. And then suddenly I was able to say, Jesus is Lord. And the devil left. John was embarrassed about the outburst, but not sure what to do next. One of the church elders approached him a few days later. He said, Jesus wants you to have this. He gave me a sweatshirt. They said, you're a warrior for Christ. For someone to come and say, this is a gift in Christ. He loves you. To me, that was amazing. I couldn't believe that Jesus loved me. But I was committed to the dark side. I was committed to the demons. I was committed to the devil. And I was between two worlds. One night, John decided to end the struggle between the two worlds the only way he knew how. I said, Boy, Jesus can't have me, the devil can't have me. The best way out is suicide. In my ignorance, in my shame, in my, in my mind that was so far gone, spiritually drained, spiritually drained. John didn't know how to pray, but he began to talk to God. I don't know what they call you, Jesus, whatever they call you in church. I don't like you. I never liked you. I never had nothing to do with you. I want no dealings with you. I hate you. I don't want to be part of you. I, don't want to, I never want to be a Christian. I disown you. If that's going to get you away from me, I will worship the devil to the day I die. I whisper, saying, if you are bigger than the God that I serve, then you show me tonight or leave me alone. John went to sleep and dreamed he was on a subway. The train was filled with people. And the faces was drained, and we were going somewhere that I know that was not good. And as the train was going faster than light, there was a lady dressed very elegant. And she started talking to me in demonic tongues. I understood the tongue. Traitor, you're leaving us. So I tried to get into the middle of the train, in the middle of the people, so she won't reach me. Pop hit. And the doors opened, I ended up in hell. John stepped out of the subway and into the darkness. As I went to the tunnels of hell, the heat, it wasn't a heat that you feel on earth. It grips you, and the fear, ropes around you. There's no hope, the hope is removed. As I got to a part of the tunnel, the devil came out, bigger and more strong, I've never seen him like that. And he said to me, I've been with you since you were nine years old. I've been a father to you. I've given you everything. 
He said, I'm going to keep you here, but if I can keep you here, you won't wake up upstairs, which is on Earth. And he said, you belong to me, and you're not going to leave. You know too many secrets about my religion. And when he went to grab me, to snuff me, this dreadful cross appeared in my hands. I couldn't understand how a cross would appear in my hands. I never called for the cross. I put it on the devil. And he felt like nothing. He felt like he was a, a baby. No powers at the foot of the cross. When John woke up, he was a changed man. And I knew that Jesus is the Lord. I bent my knee to the cross. And Jesus came into my life. I took a white piece of paper and I wrote down a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. I serve you all the days of my life. John threw out all of his witchcraft paraphernalia, but the battle wasn't over. He was under spiritual attack every night for the next month. At night, I felt a presence come into the room. And then when I would turn around, I would actually sometimes see what was there. Or sometimes I would just slip around and somehow fall asleep up this way. And I would just feel someone's hands just grab me by my throat and try to pick me off of bed and try to rip my body. I'd rip my soul out of my body. Sometimes they grab by my feet and the bed was shaped. And they would bring it up and levitate the bed and levitate me to the point that sometimes I might even reach the ceiling. And I couldn't breathe, and I couldn't cry out, I couldn't talk, I felt like I was choking, I felt like they were choking the life out of me. And I would try to call out for Jesus, and the words wouldn't come out, and then in the end of the word would come out, Jesus help me, Jesus help me, saves me, and it would go away. John didn't understand why God permitted the nightly struggles. I asked the Lord, why did you allow this to happen to me? Why this torment? Why did you allow these people to abuse me this way? I gave my life to you. I told you I would serve you. And he said to me, I wanted to know how much you love me, how much you trust me. And no devil ever showed up to my house ever again. John says he wouldn't trade anything for what he's found in Christ. For 25 years of my life, I was able to do anything to anybody. Anyway, I count that out to be foolish. To get in Christ. He's my own all. He's the breath I breathe. He walks with me. I can hear the sound of his voice in my ear. Today, John shares the gospel with everyone he can. He has written a book about his experiences called Out of the Devil's Cauldron. I've been victorious in Christ. I got peace. I'm not empty no more. I got fulfillment. I got a purpose and I have a destiny today. And all because I say yes to the cross. And I am an evangelist for the kingdom of light. No more an evangelist for the dark side. I expose the dark side every time the Lord gives me a chance. Because you don't have to die in your sins. You don't have to shed blood like in Palamanyumbe. Jesus shed the blood for you. That's the blood that counts. The one at the cross.